0: Well, good morning, everyone. Thanks again for being here with us. My name is Walter. I'm the teaching and small groups minister here at Church at South, and as a church, we are in the middle of this reading plan. We're reading through the book of Acts, one chapter a day for 28 days, which fits pretty nicely normally in the month of February, but, you know, our planning got a little off in this year's leap year, so 29 days. We're giving you a catch-up day, but Anyways, we're reading through the book of Acts and we're asking ourselves, why not us? We're looking at the faith of the earliest Christians and wondering what we can do to to allow our faith to grow and to be obedient to God. Now, the reason that we read Scripture together as a church is that we believe God speaks most clearly and most loudly through His Word. In fact, God's story, Scripture, our Bibles, God's story is one of our core values here at South, And so we think it's essential that you read and reread and continue to dig into Scripture and continue to understand God's story. Now, in two weeks from today, we're starting a new series. It'll be called The Most Important, and that's our series leading up to Easter. Easter is just around the corner. Can you believe it? It's, uh, it's hard to believe, but... Uh, Leading up to Easter, we're looking at the book of Mark, and we'll be specifically uh, talking about Mark chapters 11 through 16, which is kind of the last week of Jesus' life before his crucifixion and resurrection. And we're, we're asking ourselves, you know, if you only had one week to live, what would you do? For Jesus, he spent that last week teaching and, and, uh, and serving and performing miracles, doing things that were the most important. And so we're looking at what Jesus did and what he taught, how he spoke, how he lived in that last week, and taking some cues from that. All that to say, it's another chance for us as a church to jump into Scripture together. Uh, we, don't, we won't have a reading plan for that one, but what we will have is this class taught by Dr. Brian Baldwin. You might just know him as Brian. He's one of our people here, uh, one of us. And uh, he's an expert in Mark. He'll be here on Sunday nights for five weeks, Sunday nights uh, starting in a couple weeks. Uh, that'll be at 5.30, and it's a chance for you to come in and, uh, and get more of a big picture of how Mark fits together. And so I can't encourage you strongly enough to jump into God's Word with your church. I'll be there on Sunday nights, five thirty, five five weeks in a row. Uh, we want you to be there with us. Now back to today and back to the book of Acts. You know, this this faith that we see displayed by these earliest Christians in God's story, in the book of Acts, is just vibrant and alive and powerful. The earliest Christians were living these radical, God-shaped, Jesus-centered lives. And sometimes for us today, it doesn't seem like that's the case. And so, if the earliest Christians were seeing God move so powerfully among them, then why not us today? Turn with me to Acts 26. We're going to be reading through Paul's speech to the Roman authorities here in just a minute. But as we get there, I want to share a couple years back, I invited a friend to church. He was not a Christian, but he w- was curious. We're, we'll call him Matt today. And so he came, he came here, and he, he was with us for quite a while. And near the beginning of his time here, uh, Matt and I sat down, and, and we had breakfast together, and I was talking to him, and he just shared with me how the whole faith thing, believing in Jesus, was was too too much for him. He didn't see how it could logically work and it didn't make a lot of sense, but he was willing to come to church and he, he was even willing to to give a small group a try and so he got plugged in and and after that meeting I was like, "All right, this guy's coming here. It's there's potential to see him become a follower of Jesus." And so time went on and and Matt was coming here pretty regularly and he was pretty dialed into his small group, but eventually he started missing a Sunday here or there and you know, he he missed a a small group here and there. And and I had this thought in the back of my mind, I really should check in on Matt. I should follow up on this conversation and and talk a little bit more about why I believe and why it makes sense to be a follower of Jesus. But life goes on and you get busy and some things that are important you kind of set aside. And even though I knew I should talk to Matt, I, I really didn't. And and then a little bit more time went on and eventually Matt came less and less to church and he was less and less plugged into a small group and I kept thinking, i got to sit down with Matt until one night he texted me and said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm done with the church thing. And I am stepping out of my small group and my life is too busy and I have to cut something and man, my, my heart was broken. I so desperately wanted my friend to come to know Jesus or... Or at least I thought I did. Because if I was really that desperate to see Matt come to faith in Jesus, I would have sat down with him. I would have had that conversation. I, we would have talked and, and discussed some more of his issues, his hang-ups with Christianity and, and faith. And, and yet I never took the time to have a follow-up conversation. That story is, is painful. And as far as I know today, Matt is not a follower of Jesus. At the end of the day Matt's got to make his own choices and he's responsible for himself and his relationship with God. But I know for a fact that I could have been better prepared and more intentional and 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 had more conversations about faith with Matt instead of just letting him go on and hoping that by osmosis somehow being among God's people he would become a follower of Jesus. Man, I want my friends and my family to know Jesus and and you probably do too. And when we read the story of Acts, we see all these people who were not followers of Jesus, not Christians at all, become followers of Jesus and and submit their lives to him in baptism and be filled with the Holy Spirit. We see these stories of entire families coming to know Jesus as their Lord. And so when I look at the story of Acts and I look at, at what's going on here, I, I wonder, what is going on? What is it that the people in Acts were doing that you and I aren't maybe as good at? What, what is it that was going on in this, this book that we could take some cues from and maybe our faith journey could be a little bit better? Well, today, looking at that question and, and talking about that, we're, we're in Acts chapter 26. We're jumping ahead to, to next week's reading today, and, uh, and we're going to start here in verse 1. So Acts Chapter 26, verse 1, Why not us? Then Agrippa said to Paul, You may speak in your defense. So Paul, gesturing with his hand, started his defense, I'm fortunate, King Agrippa, that you are the one hearing my defense today against all these accusations made by the Jewish leaders, for I know you are an expert on all the Jewish customs and controversies. Now please listen to me patiently. All right, there's some names in here. We've got to get some backstory because if you 've been reading along with us, or if you haven 't been reading along with us, this stuff can get confusing. So Paul was preaching in Jerusalem and ended up there was like a, a mob that was going to kill him, and so the the Roman uh, soldiers stepped in and rescued him from that and then he was, he was put on uh, a trial I think during that time he was put on trial by the uh, the Jewish uh, authorities in Jerusalem and and then he was taken off from there to Caesarea, which was the provincial capital of the, the region in this time. And, and there, the Romans are trying to figure out what's going on with this guy, why is he stirring up trouble. On the way from Jerusalem to Caesarea, uh, the Romans stop another plot to kill Paul. The, the Jewish people were just so mad at Paul and his message, and they were trying to get to him no matter what. So Paul ends up in Caesarea, this, this provincial capital, and there he is put on trial before Felix. Felix who is the Roman governor in that area. And, uh, and Felix is just trying to figure out why is this guy causing such a ruckus? What's going on? Felix really needs to keep the peace. And as far as he can tell, Paul has committed no offenses that are, are worthy of any kind of criminal punishment, according to Roman law. Now, according to the, the religious authorities in Jerusalem, yeah, Paul was guilty and deserved death. But according to Roman law, there was, there was nothing going on. And so Felix didn't know what to do with him, and so he just stashed him away in prison. And there Paul sat for about two years. And during this time, Felix would bring him out whenever he wanted, I don't know, entertainment or to talk to somebody. And he was trying to figure out what was going on with this case, but he didn't know what to do. And so eventually, Felix is being replaced by the next governor of this area, Festus, and on his way in, uh, you know, they, they're talking, and nobody knows what to do with Paul, and Paul's still in, in prison, and, and so eventually Festus decides, okay, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to figure out what to do. And, uh, and, and Paul, in the middle of, of one of these trials, he realizes he's caught in this bureaucratic system, and so he, he appeals to Caesar, which is one of the things that Roman citizens can do. Now, keep in mind, Caesar at this time was, was Caesar Nero, who's not really a guy you want to have to come before. And keep in mind also, from the, the Roman governor's standpoint, they don't want to send a case off to, to Caesar Nero that, that they could have resolved themselves because, again, he's not the kind of guy that you want to get uh, uh, crossed up with. So, so anyways, all this is happening, and, uh, and eventually Festus is a new governor. He's trying to decide this case. He wants to resolve it here so he doesn't have to send Paul off to Rome. And in come some more Jewish dignitaries, uh, King Agrippa and his sister Bernice, and, and they're there, and Festus brings them, and he's like, hey, I got this case, it's involving your laws, and we don't understand them, come on out and hear, hear this guy named Paul. And so that's what's happening here. Paul is before King Agrippa and Bernice and Festus and all of these Roman authorities who are, are displayed in their regalia. and you, know, you can just imagine the differential here in power and, and the dynamics here between this man in chains, probably in prison clothes and rags, surrounded by all these fancy people who can determine his fate. And so Paul starts in and he says, hey, King Agrippa, this is what's going on. And then we pick up in verse 4 of Acts chapter 26. Paul is continuing to speak. As the Jewish leaders are well aware, I was given a thorough Jewish training from my earliest childhood among my own people in Jerusalem. If they would admit it, they know that I have been a member of the Pharisees, the strictest sect of our religion. Now I am on trial because of my hope in the fulfillment of God's promise made to our ancestors. In fact, that is why the 12 tribes of Israel zealously worship God day and night. And they share the same hope that I have. And yet, your majesty, they accuse me for having this hope. Why does it seem incredible to any of you that God can raise the dead? I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus, the Nazarene. Indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem. Authorized by the leading priest, I caused many believers there to be sent to prison. And I cast my vote against them, and they were condemned to death. And many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. I'll pause there. Now, in sharing this story, it's pretty clear that Paul has spent his time productively in prison. He's been there for a couple years, and he's been thinking about this. He's been thinking, uh, about what he would say when he comes before Felix, he, he talks to him when he comes before Festus, he, he talks to him, he gives a defense every single time. You know, experts in, in Roman speech giving have, have looked at this, and they're, they're way smarter than I am, but, but experts have looked at this and, and they've said, Paul structures his speech here according to the, the standards for speech writing in this time. About 100 years before, there was this publication called the Rhetorica ad Herenium, and if you've ever had a speech class or had to make a persuasive essay that had like three or five parts, then maybe some of this stuff would be familiar to you. I don't want to get lost too much in the structure here because this is kind of an aside, but it's also the main point of the sermon is that Paul was prepared. Paul was prepared, and so in this sermon, in, in Paul's speech here, you see you see all these sections. You've got the first couple verses. It's the introduction. It's the exordium, basically an attention getter. And then here in uh, verses 4 through 21, you've got the narratio. It's, it's Paul recounting. These are the facts of the matter. This is the heart of, of what has happened. And then from there, he makes a proposition. He, he makes a statement, his propositio, in, in verses 22 and 23. And he states that case trying to be proven. And then he, he, he launches into the refutatio, which is, is 25 and 26, and that's responding to criticism. And then finally, he ends up with this peroration, which is his concluding statement's kind of an entreaty, like, you've heard my case, now listen to me. And again, we don't need to get too deeply into this, but the point is, Paul was prepared for this moment. He was ready. He'd been thinking about how he was going to present his story, and in presenting his story, he was very well-spoken, very intentional, very articulate. This is not debate team, right? We, didn't, we don't need to get lost. We're not here to learn how to, to make a speech this morning, but, but Paul was prepared. Paul was prepared. Verses 12 and following. One day, Paul is still speaking, One day I was on such a mission to Damascus, armed with the authority and commission of the leading priests, and about noon, Your Majesty, as I was on the road, a light from heaven, brighter than the sun shone down on me and my companions. And we all fell down, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is useless for you to fight against my will. Who are you, Lord? I asked. Again, the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. Tell the people that you have seen me, and tell them what I will show you in the future. And I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. And then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. Now by this point, Paul has recounted this same story so many times in so many places. We've got a record of a number of these recountings here in the book of Acts and and I think that's, that's important. Paul is, it's important to note that Paul is telling his story, and, and any opportunity he's given, he, he tells his story. And that's important because when you and I are preparing to, to help people become followers of Jesus, I think it starts with our story, our story. Now, ultimately, it's, it's all about Jesus, right? And that's the connection that we want to make. But if you're meeting with somebody who doesn't know Jesus, doesn't care about Jesus yet, has no background here, you're meeting with them because they know you, you've met them, you've got some kind of relationship, and, and the powerful part, the connecting part there is, is, is your story. Where have you seen God work? What has he done in your life? How are you different now than you were before you were a Christian? What has Jesus changed for you? When, when you're sharing your story with somebody who doesn't know Jesus, they don't know Jesus, but they know you, right? Right? So do you know your story? Are you prepared to, to, to recount it? Are you prepared to, to tell people about the ways in which God has worked and changed and, and has shown up in your life? Paul certainly was here, and that's why we get to hear his story multiple times in the book of Acts. Verse 19, and so King Agrippa, I obeyed that vision from heaven. I preached first to those in Damascus and then in Jerusalem and throughout all Judea and also to the Gentiles that all must repent of their sins and turn to God and and prove they have changed by the good things they do. Some Jews arrested me in the temple for preaching this and they tried to kill me, but God has protected me right up to this present time so I can testify to everyone from the least to the greatest. I teach nothing except what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and be the first to rise from the dead. In this way, announce God's light to the Jews and Gentiles alike. Suddenly, Festus shouted, Paul, you are insane. Too much study has made you crazy. Now, we read, we read Paul's speech here, and if you're like me, you read Scripture, and sometimes you just your eyes are going over the pages, over the words, and there's not much intonation or emotion or much on the line you're just reading the words and especially when you read paul's description of the damascus roads events for like the fifth time you think can't luke get an editor and just reference what was said before and i have to tell us again but i think when we read it that way we miss out what's going on here because when paul is recounting this story there's urgency there's emotion right there's authenticity so much so that that the, the king and, uh, and the Roman governor here are, are yelling at him. Festus says, what are you doing? You're out of your mind. Too much learning has driven you insane. There's real tension in this story. And so don't miss the tension when you read the story of Acts. It makes me wonder about our own stories. When we are trying to share the gospel with somebody we know, when we're out there and, and trying to present the good news about Jesus, are, are we really excited about it? Or are we timid or are we just trying to psych ourselves up? What's going on there? Are, are, are we ready to, to tell people and help them to know about Jesus and, and help the trajectory of their entire life change? Or are we just kind of afraid and uh, deadpan and just it's straight out and, you know, here's something about my story and now let's talk about the Lions game today. Unfortunately, not the Lions game today, but you know. Acts twenty six twenty five continues on. But Paul replied, I am not insane, most excellent Festus. What I am saying is the sober truth, and King Agrippa knows about these things. I speak boldly, for I am sure that these events are all familiar to him, for they were not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Agrippa interrupted him. Do you think you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? And that's that. Paul replied, whether quickly or not, I pray to God that both you and everyone here in this audience might become the same as I am, except for these chains. And that is that Paul has made his defense, he's shared his prepared remarks, and he's even finished with an entreaty to King Agrippa to become a follower of Jesus. Paul took this chance to share his story again with intentionality and, and urgency. And As to the, the results of this presentation, we don't really know what happened with the, the ruling people in this room, with the, the authorities. But we do know for Paul, he's in a courtroom, he's arguing his case. From our perspective, a, a good outcome to this argument of his case would, be, would have been Paul being freed to go on his way. But we know that Paul instead was sent back to prison, in jail, in chains. He was there to await his transport to Rome, and, uh, and then he was transported to Rome as a prisoner. From our perspective, Paul failed this trial, right? He, he didn't argue well enough for his freedom, but from God's perspective, from Paul's perspective, I mean, he was there, he was speaking the truth, and he was telling others about Jesus. You know, Paul fully knew and fully believed his calling as a follower of Jesus. He knew that those who claimed to be Christians are on a mission. And we've been on a mission ever since Jesus commissioned us, the Great Commission in Matthew 28, where Jesus says, Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. This is the mission given to Jesus' followers, and this is the mission that we still have today, the mandate to go out into the world and to make disciples, to teach them to obey God and, and to follow Jesus. Now, Paul knew that that was his, his goal, and if that meant that he had to sit in chains in a prison for a little longer, well, he would use that time wisely. If that meant that he was going to be sent off as a prisoner to Rome, well, he was going to use that time wisely, and if that meant that he got to make another missionary journey, he'd already made two by this point, well, it was a good chance for him to go out and to preach Christ, because, because Paul, Paul knew this. He, he knew that followers of Jesus should always be prepared. Followers of Jesus should always be prepared. That, be prepared, that's a, a logo or it's a, a slogan that you might have heard of. Now, some of you have been involved in, in scouting, right? Because of my very normal and common childhood, I was not involved in the Boy Scouts, but I was involved in something called the Calvinist Cadets at <laughs> Coopersville Christian Reform Church. And so that's where I was. That's what I started out. And we did all the normal scouting things like uh, tie knots and Pinewood Derby and uh, I don't know what else, merit badges, and we had vests. But we also did the maybe abnormal scouting things. Every, every Tuesday night we would get together and we would, our cadets would sing Living for Jesus. Maybe that's not something that happened in your Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts uh, huddle, but that was part of our, our pattern. Now, I, I've done a little research on the scouts because I didn't have that experience, but, uh, but you might know the scouting motto. It was it was. Uh, it was written down by Baden Powell first, who's the father of the scouting movement. And, and it's be prepared, it's be prepared. And it goes on a little farther, always, always being in a state of readiness in mind or body to do your duty. But be prepared is the core of that scouting motto. And for over 100 years, Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts both have been prepared. They've been ready to, to step up in good times and bad times and moments of crisis. They are, are known worldwide as, as servants, as people who make a difference. Now, as followers of Jesus, I think you and I have a similar but slightly different motto. It sounds similar. It's be prepared, but it's different because our our calling is higher. Our, Our calling is about people's eternal relationship with Jesus Christ. Be prepared. I know it sounds like the same thing, but we are sent out into the world to help people find their way back to God. We're on this essential mission given to us by Jesus himself. And now part of that calling to be prepared is is absolutely to do the things that scouts do, to serve and to make a difference in our community and to meet people's needs. But our calling goes much, much farther than that. And I think for, for us as, as a church, sometimes it's easy for us to, to get wrapped up in meeting the earthly needs, uh, feeding people, helping people find shelter, addressing issues that they have, helping people raise, raise people out of poverty, helping deal with health issues, like doing important stuff, which is essential and important, But a lot of times we stop there. We stop there and we say, okay, I've served in Jesus' name. And so hopefully by osmosis, those I've served will know I'm serving in Jesus' name. And they'll come to a knowledge of Jesus. Maybe you've served your neighbors this way. You've you've gone out and you've made a difference in your neighborhood. You've helped them work on a house project or cleaned up their yard. Or you visited visited them and, and brought them some food when they were sick. Maybe you have served in Jesus' name. But have you ever been prepared to share in Jesus' name? Right To take that conversation one step farther, to be prepared not to just serve and get distracted by all the good that we should be doing, but also to be prepared to share your story and to help others come to know Jesus as their Savior. You know, I wanted my friend Matt to know Jesus so desperately that I invited him to church. I mean, that seems like a big hurdle, right? Getting him to church. But then I thought that osmosis where he was around Christians doing Christian things would be enough for him to place his faith in Jesus and it was not. And so I think we can't, we can't lie to ourselves and think that just serving is enough. We need to serve in Jesus' name and we need to be ready. We need to be prepared to share the hope that we have. So I, I encourage you. Don't avoid avoid the discomfort of talking about Jesus. Step into it, embrace it, know that God's Holy Spirit is going with you and spend your time between now and then praying for, preparing yourself and, uh, and, and getting ready to know your story and know God's story so that you are ready so that you're prepared to share. We are convinced that followers of Jesus must always be prepared. Hey, as we move on to what's next this morning, uh, I think Paul's example in Acts, it can be inspiring, but it can also be intimidating. This was a man who was brilliant, right? And he was not scared to step up in front of people who were openly hostile to him and share the good news about Jesus. And we've talked a lot about how, Jesus was, or about how Paul was prepared this morning, but we didn't talk so much about the details of what it takes to prepare And so this morning, if you're somebody who who wants to step out in faith and wants to be ready to share your life and share the gospel with others, uh, I think there are a few people in our congregation who are doing this really, really well. I'm going to name some names this morning, not to elevate them and say, hey, look at them, they're awesome, uh, because we are all sinners in need of a Savior. But to tell you, if there's, if there's a desire that God's placed in your heart to be better prepared to share the gospel, that there are some people here doing it really well and you can learn from them. You know, we see Rod Beischer's posts on our, our Facebook group and we see how he's active out there, uh, talking to people and, and hopefully building bridges. I can think of others. I can think of Joy Body. I can think of Mike and Marilyn Van Dyke. If you don't know these people, I would love to introduce them to you. My wife, Jamie, scares me sometimes with the, the discussion, when she tells me about the discussions that she's had like I don't know if that was safe, but okay, good for you. Um, there, there are others in our congregation. Joe Seton, man, find these people and ask them. Maybe apprentice yourself to them. Figure out what they're doing and why they're doing, and learn from them. Again, not because they're amazing people, but because they get it and they are prepared to, to share the good news about Jesus. Now I'll leave you this. I'll leave you with this this morning from another one of the apostles, First Peter. Peter 1 of the 12, he says this in his, his letter. He says in 1 Peter 3, verse 15, Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Always be ready to explain it. In other words, be prepared. Hey, would you join me in prayer? Father God, we are here today as your people and we are thankful for your story. We're thankful for the opportunity that we have as a church to jump into Scripture together and to hear from you, to learn from you, and to be challenged. And so, God, that's what I I pray this morning, that you would would challenge us, that we would feel some of that discomfort and conviction of your Holy Spirit, that we would be be moved and motivated to, to step out on this mission. God, that we would look around us at our neighbors and our friends, our family members, those who need to know you, and uh, God, that we wouldn't be shy. Instead, that we would do everything that we can between here and, and interacting with them to be prepared, to prepare our hearts and our minds, to know our stories, to know your stories, and to know why we believe. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would go with us, that you would open doors, that you would prepare hearts, and that you would motivate us. And God, as we leave this place and head out into what's next, help us to go with that that desire to make disciples. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray these things. Amen.